0: Good morning, Summit. As we think of that song, Jesus, what a beautiful name it is. I hope that the name of Jesus has become more beautiful to you, that you've seen it as more powerful as the name that is truly above every other name. That his is truly the kingdom and the power and the glory. And I think of just the the lauding and the joy of knowing Jesus. I, I pray that that has been normal for you, that it has been increasing for you. I know it's hard. Right now, I am sitting in my home watching this right now, me talk to myself. And there is strange realities that are there and maybe distractions. And so I just invite us now as we begin this, let's just pray. Ask God to help us to remember why we're here, what we're doing, and to focus our hearts. And kids, why don't you also pray with us? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and just be silent together, and let's pray to God. God, I thank you for this opportunity to be gathered together as your people. I pray that our hearts would hear from your spirit through your word and that we would be changed. Lord, as we're talking about even thinking differently, Lord, I pray that as we really measure ourselves according to your word and according to how you've blessed us, that we would see that our need for you is great. Lord, show us that. Help us to receive your word with humility and that we would understand that you are good during this entire time. But Lord, help us, strengthen us. We need you, and we need one another. Lord, we love you. Amen. So we've been talking about Romans 12, and we've been talking about the idea of real church. What does it look like to be God's people? And we started off in the first two verses of Romans 12 talking about Paul's focus back on God's mercies. And he says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to do something. And he says, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is your spiritual worship. This is your response to God. And then last week, Todd talked about this idea of renewing your mind. He says, In view of God's mercies, don't be conformed to this world, don't look like the world, don't think like the world. Instead, be transformed. Renew your mind. Think the way that God has brought about in your life salvation and all the good things that God has given you. Think those thoughts, and then you're able to test and approve what God's will is. So now you're looking for that which pleases God. And he says that is good, acceptable, and perfect. And for the rest of Romans 12, and really for the rest of Romans Paul is going to show you what it looks like to live that out in your life. And so today we'll be looking specifically at Romans 12, verse 3. And we're going to see that our mind being renewed is shown in how we live within the context of the family of God, within relationships. And again, this is only, only possible because God brought about a new creation, a change in us. That's the only way that we could live this out. And so renewing the mind brings about the transformation of our character into the image of Jesus. And it's seen in how we relate to one another and how we think about ourselves in relationship to God and in relationship to one another, which is really the focus of our passage, is how we think about ourselves in view of God and one another. And that's the first step towards change. And so let's look at Romans 12. We're going to read three through eight, but we're only going to be discussing today verse three. So let's read it together. It says, For, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one Of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If serving, in our serving, to the one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes in generosity. The one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so you see that God has given each person in the body of Christ a gift to use for the benefit of God's people. But he starts first in verse three to talk about our mindset in the use of these gifts. And he's going to show us that the first thing we have to focus on is that we have to be fighting prideful thoughts and instead think with humble faith. And that's really the focus of what we're seeing here in Romans 12, three. And so look at the passage again. Let's let's look at it. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Notice how many times he uses the word think. In fact, if you want to get a literal translation of what he is saying there, it actually looks more like this. He says I want to, I say to every one of you that you not think beyond what is necessary to think but that you think with sober thinking. So you notice that thinking is the main focus of what he's saying here. How you think is very important to your view of life. Now, the word think there is very important. It's not so much, you know, acting, the act of thinking in itself, like the intellectual process of processing information. You are like two plus two is four. The capital of Florida is Disney World. So it's not stuff like that. That's just obvious intellectual process that we all can do. And it's not simply changing your thoughts. So it's not saying I'm going to stop thinking about this and I'm going to start thinking about this. What it's talking about is the direction of your thinking. So the trajectory of your thinking is moving in a different direction. And it's a process of change. Again, the transformation of renewing your mind is a process. And so when he says that you don't think beyond what is necessary to think and that you think with sober thinking... He's saying the way in which a person views something needs to change. So the direction in which you think. As you think about direction thinking, I I was thinking about when I'm riding a bike and I'm moving in a direction. It is very harmful for me to not look where I am going. Because what happens is I start moving in the direction in which I'm looking. And that's true of just about everything that you're doing. If you're walking this direction, one, it's dangerous. You don't even see where you're going, but you start turning in the direction that you're looking inadvertently. You start swerving. And that's what Paul is saying is, in order to change, you have to change the direction in which you're looking. Now, if the direction you're looking is good, then it's great for you to start moving in that direction. If the direction you're looking is wrong, then you're going to start going the other direction, which is why he says, don't be conformed, To the world, you're looking and acting and thinking this direction. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It's the process of looking in a different direction. Notice that Romans 8, 5 to 8, also gives an example of what this practically looks like. He says, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh. This is the direction in which they are thinking. Those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And then notice he says, for to set the mind on the flesh, the direction you're going is death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Then he says, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It's an enemy of God. But notice what he also says. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh, they cannot please God. And this is the idea of the renewed mind is seeking that which is the Lord's will. You want to do what is good and acceptable and perfect. And that's the mind that we're looking at. What does that look like for us to do this? And this is the new creation. We're renewed in this direction. And I want to draw out that what's happening here is he has a contrast of negative and positive. You saw this in Romans twelve too. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He starts here saying... Do not think this way, but think this way. And so we have the negative first and then the positive. And the first thing he says, the direction we need to be setting our minds to, is fighting prideful thoughts. So when we're looking and people are focusing this way, he says, fight those thoughts. Don't go that way. And how do you fight prideful thoughts? The first thing we see is that you see your life through God's grace. Notice in verse 3 that he says, for by the grace given to me. Paul recognizes immediately that everything that he has is because of God's grace. Often throughout scripture, he talks about God's grace coming to him, calling him, saving him. He's overwhelmed by the fact that God would do this. He even says that by the grace of God, I am what I am. And so he knows that he's an apostle. He was saved on the road to Damascus simply because God in his grace called him. The light shone and he saw Jesus and he didn't understand. And he says, who are you, Lord? And God came and showed him himself. And then Paul's life was forever changed in a different direction. And you saw that in Philippians where Paul is not wanting to boast in his flesh anymore or who he is or who he was. He says, no, no, no. I want to know Christ. I want to make him known. So his direction was totally changed by God's grace. And we know that salvation is by grace. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves. This is a gift of God. It's not by works that no one would boast. But this also is gifted in anything. Look at this. Who makes you different from anyone else? This is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Paul asks this question. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, he asks, why do you boast as though you did not receive it? When we forget we receive something, we act in pride, thinking it was us that brought about our gift or our circumstance. So think of it, and we all wrestle with this. So think you have, uh, let's just imagine you have two boys, and their names are Chase and Bowen, and they have races in the backyard, you know, in the grass mid-summer. Bowen's younger, and he's faster than his brother Chase, and he beats him in the race, And he could look back and say, look at how fast I am. Man, I'm so fast. I'm faster than everybody in my family. And he could be prideful about the fact that he is fast. Now, how would you address that? Would you say, no, 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 you're not fast. There's many people who are faster than you. Well, that's probably not the best way because you have to actually admit you are fast. But the question would be, who made you fast? Why are you fast? And the reality is, thank God Because you're fast. God gave you that gift. Be fast. But thank God that you are fast. And I think of that in terms of anything. We should start thinking this way about everything. Do you have a lot of possessions? Now, kids, that's a fancy word for toys. Because adults have toys. They're just bigger, more expensive. But that, parents, do you thank God for the things that you have? Maybe your advancement in business Maybe the reality of your education. Maybe some of you during this time, your parenting skills are just shining, right? You have this thought of even maybe this week, you thought, man, we woke up at 6.17 in the morning to see the sunrise, our whole family. And then we had a nice continental breakfast and we had an early tea. By 7.45, we were all dressed. We made our beds and we began our school day with a song and a prayer. And listen, all my kids were sitting there for eight hours we covered all sorts of topics like fine arts, world cultures. We covered Gothic literature. We even studied Aramaic because that's the language of our Lord Jesus. Now, if that's you, fantastic. I'm not going to criticize that, but that's not a means of arrogance. That's a means of thanking God. Say, God, thank you that you're allowing me to bring this about. This isn't from yourself. You, you received this, so use it for God's glory and not your own. That's the problem. He says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's grace that you have this. Paul recognized that. Everything that we have is God's grace. And I think the temptation is always that we want to elevate ourselves. But notice what next he says. He says, remember that all Christians fight pride. The next part he says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. And so the reality is to be a Christian is to battle pride. You have to battle pride. We're all prone to pride. James even reminds us that even to become a Christian, this idea of God opposing the proud, but gives grace to the humble. We had to be humble at some point in order to accept Christ. We couldn't rely on ourselves for salvation. We had to rely on Christ. And that's the way we continue walking in humility. Because anytime we're we're proud, God says he opposes those people. In other words, they're not going to receive anything because they don't feel like they need it from God. You need to be humble. God gives grace to the humble. But notice he says, don't think more highly. God in Christ has done great things for us. There are high thoughts that we can have. Read Ephesians 1. I think it's like three through uh, the end of the chapter, really. You're looking at this going, God has done great things. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's high. That's awesome. That's awesome. But he says, don't think more highly. It's always the attainment of more that we want. And so God has exalted us in Christ in uniting us with him. But then it's not enough for many of us. We want to become the center of the focus. And that's where we get into trouble. Often the priority of our thought is us, what we want, what we're feeling, what we would say, what we're planning. And I think of my kids getting in arguments, right? Anytime your kids get in arguments, if you have more than one kid fighting with one another, it's like a tornado of verbiage that's going on. They can't even get the words out of their mouths. Everyone is defending themselves. One says this. No, I didn't. I didn't. And this one goes, No, I didn't. You're looking at it going, What in the world? Because everybody is focused on what that person did to them and how that person made them feel. And no one teaches kids to do this. We just do this by nature. I think if I, if I, as the, Children's pastor came over and said, hey, Emmy, listen, listen. You have to focus on how your sister made you feel. Your feelings are your God. Listen, they, they made you feel bad. That's why they're evil. So remember that, Emmy. Lily, listen, you have to show them that what you want is more important to them. Keep pouting. You'll get your way. Come on. Jacob, Jacob, get over here, buddy. You can't be gracious with them or trust their motives. Don't you know they're evil all the time? Leland. What are you doing? When your sister's talking, you don't listen. You start thinking about what you're going to say to her. And then you totally, ignore. once she gives you a moment, you get right in there and you say what you're thinking, buddy. Nobody does that. But can we admit that we all do that? We all do that. How many times do we have arguments and we're thinking in our mind, how can, how can you say that to me? Do you have any idea what you do to me? What do you mean you're upset? Do you have any idea what I've been through this entire day? You don't even care. It's so easy to focus on and prioritize ourselves. And Paul's reminding us through this that pride can't work with God's people, with God's new creation. It doesn't work because God and his will has preeminence. I think of 2 Corinthians. It's supposed to say 2 Corinthians. I apologize. 2 Corinthians 5 15 reminds us that Jesus Christ died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves. Notice that he died so that those who live, we died so we would live not for ourselves. It's not to us that we live anymore, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And then he reminds us if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And that's the reality of what he's saying. That's why we can renew our minds. Because if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. We're going a different direction. So we can't think more highly than we ought to think. That's the way in which we died to. We don't live for ourselves anymore. We live for God. We live for what he wants. Because we're a new creation in him. And let's be honest, pride is the number one killer of relationships. Period. We often want to determine what is best for us. And this goes all the way back to the beginning temptation. We want to determine what is best. Think of the garden. Temptation was, did God really say? In other words, is what God said as important as what you want? Is is what he said really your standard? Or is what you want the standard? And that's where the, the question came. You're supposed to be under what God said and how he asks you to live. But then they said, no, no, no. We're going to do what we want, and that was the temptation, and that's what all of us are trying to do. I think of kids thinking constantly that they and their needs are the center of the universe and constantly pouting and complaining when they don't get what they want. I think of teenagers arguing and thinking their needs have a higher importance than obeying and honoring their parents. It's pride. I think of a spouse or a parent not hearing from their family, their thoughts, shutting them out because it criticizes the way that I think or the things that I want to do. That's pride. And I think in the church, as Paul's addressing a church, many times we could say, I don't agree with the leadership. I don't agree with how they are making decisions and why they're coming to their conclusions. So I don't have to listen to them. That's pride. Let's get even more personal. How about evaluating your thoughts and the things that you've said these past two months, maybe on social media conversations you've had? What do they look like? Are they filled with prideful statements, arrogant statements, especially about what's happening here in Michigan? Your thoughts of the government, the governor, and the orders that were given? Do they show a heart that first desires to exalt Jesus Christ and to make him known. Is that your focus of your comments? To exalt Jesus Christ and make him known? Or was it to exalt your rights and to make your opinions known? Because again, which, which one is the higher, more highly than you ought to think? It's a challenge to us. Now, now let's be honest. We're not trying to ignore what's happening. But there is a difference of the way in which we direct our thoughts towards these things. And that's what Paul is addressing because pride is going to exalt our importance our superiority of thought and we're often disgusted at people who don't think the way that we do that's pride and i think of my own conversations listen it's i just openly i have conversations with people all the time by myself my wife will watch me and i'll just be going <laughs> And I'll be, moving my, I'll be having a full-on conversation. Do you realize that I win every one of those conversations? I've never lost a conversation I've had with no one. I always win. It's amazing because no one else is talking to me. I always dominate those conversations. That is absolute pride. Because what I'm doing is I am making an assumption of what they would say, and I am downplaying their thoughts without anybody ever saying That is so arrogant. God so convicted me over that. I am thinking of myself way more highly than I ought to think when I do those things. That is the way of the world. And so he says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And so church, listen, we have to repent of these things. We have to turn away from those things. We need to ask God by his grace to help us to fight against these prideful thoughts and move towards Christ. But how do we do that? How do we do that? And that's really the next thing that he addresses. So we fight prideful thoughts. And the second part is that we learn to think with humble faith. So notice, here's the contrast. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And the first thing he says here is see God not yourself. That's the idea of sober thinking. What makes you sober in your thinking? To see it rightly. It's when you view God, then you view yourself correctly. When I'm not looking at God and I'm looking at myself, my esteem is going to go higher and higher and higher and higher. When I see that God, again, think of the song that we just, what a powerful name it is, Jesus. He's above every other name. That's my name too. So when I think of God, His supremacy is way higher than me when I look to God. That gives me sober judgment, sober thoughts of myself. So let's do a simple thing. Let's just think practically. So kids, listen, this is easy. You can understand this. You say, I am not God. I am not God. Who is God? God is God. I cannot make people do what I want because I'm not God. Who is God? God is God. Does God do anything wrong? Can I criticize anything that God's done? No. God is perfect, wise, and good. Am I perfect, wise, and good? My kids are going, no. And I know. No, I'm not. Not by myself. I'm not perfect, wise, and good. I am in constant need of God because I'm not God. Who is God? God is God. A renewed mind thinks of God first, not ourselves. Putting God in the proper place. Again, that he would have preeminence. His will and his way would have preeminence. We're not living for ourselves. We're living for God. I think of the illustration of a mirror. So often when I'm walking around and talking to people, I'm holding a mirror and I'm trying to show them reflections of myself. Look at this, look at this. And I look at all of life almost through a mirror. I'm just looking back at myself, seeing how people are viewing me, 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 me. God in his grace turns that mirror into a window where we're actually supposed to look through it and see Jesus. Stop turning it around and trying to look at us as a mirror. Look at it through a window. My family just got new windows in our house. I tell you what, that's amazing. One, because they were clean. You can actually see through them. It's like they weren't even there, but everything just becomes alive. I stood in front of my windows looking out at the beauty. Imagine if every window in your house was a mirror. Every time you looked at it, you just stared at yourself. That's what many of us do. We need to look out from our perspectives and stop trying to see ourselves and to see Jesus, see God and the reality of what he's doing. That gives us sober judgment that we will see him, we will be with him, and he's real. And I think of that reality of that. The next part, though, is not just seeing God. It's also serving God, not yourself. Notice he says that each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. The measure of faith that God has assigned is this idea of gifts and even your ability to trust and even an enabling or power that you're given. Notice the word measure. There's an amount. Whenever we make something, we measure things out typically. like If you're making pancakes, it's a cup of flour, You can't just do whatever you want. There's a certain measurement that you are to do. God has measured a certain amount of faith as he has assigned. So God has given this in terms of giftings, which is what we saw in four through eight, that he then moves into these various gifts and expressions of this faith that God has measured. Now, the question that I had to ask is, now, wait wait a minute. If God has given differences, won't this promote pride? Like if I give three candies to one of my kids and I give the other ones two, wouldn't this guy be prideful who got three, and these guys be upset that they got two? Well, maybe. But the reality of what it says is that God has given faith to people. And the reason why he's given various faith to people is that you and I would be dependent on one another. There's an interconnection for God and for one another. And again, we're saved to a community of people, not for ourselves. And I think of this idea that Christian character is not matured on your own. So even if you do have two, the standard isn't necessarily even just staying with the two. There is an advancement and an increasing of your faith. And I think, again, Christian character not being matured on your own. Anyone by themselves can be seen to be like an angel. It's when other people start meddling in their world that really their true character comes out. Think of Lauren, if she was in her room by herself. And she's playing. She's doing perfectly fine. And she's like a little angel in her room. But then Luke comes in. Luke comes in and starts meddling with what her imaginative world is. She's probably going to show her character what is actually in her. By herself, she's fine. When you start introducing other people, you've got problems. And that's why he says that there's this connection. There's a growing. We need one another to help us see that we need humble faith in regards to our relationship with God. And so we need to be broken of our pride. But here's another thing, as I think of a measure of faith, I've noticed that those who are mature in faith, they're not prideful. They're often very humble. Because what is faith? Faith is looking to God, not yourself. So if I'm looking to God and not myself, and I have an increased looking to God and not myself, then I would have an increased humility and not pride. It's when I don't look to God and I look to myself that I have an increased pride. And so faith, by definition, is a moving away from self to God. So each of us has been measured out an idea of what that looks like, but we grow as we see those who have a greater measure of faith exemplifying this and showing this. Parents, are you showing your kids what it looks like to grow in looking to God and not to yourself? Kids, how about you? Are you seeing the fact that you have to look to God for how you live and how you relate to your brother or your sister or your parents? That you need to look to God and ask Him to give you strength to do this that you can't do this on your own. And I think of also the reality of during this time. I think of those people who are pointing people to Christ. And those who aren't just sharing their opinions, but they're sharing God's promises. And I think of those people who've written us cards, who've encouraged us, who've been praying for us, and who've been praying for all of the people at Summit. And I appreciate you guys very, very much. That's what we're talking about, that we're moving people in the direction ourselves, that we're all called to do this. Again, we're not doing this individually. Just change your mind. No, help us move in this direction. So thank you for those who have been doing that and been encouraging us. I think of the reality that humility is the thing that will bind us together during this time. Pride is not going to. And we need to stop being divided over our prideful and arrogant thoughts, especially in regards to what's happening. We need to move again towards humility, not ignoring this. And I want to say that we're not ignoring what is happening, but how our minds need to be renewed during this time. Our focus is not lifting up ourselves and what we want. It's about lifting up God and serving Him. Because the world knows pride. The world knows what it looks like to conform to the world. The world needs to see people who are new creation minded, who are looking to Jesus, who want to serve Him humbly, staying united in love with one another. That's really what the world needs. I think of the words of Martin Luther King Jr. He said, we must learn to live together as brothers or we are going to perish together as fools. And Paul, in Ephesians 5, he says, Let's not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. It's very clear what His will is. As we talked last week, finding out what God's will is. Don't be foolish. Make the most use of the time. The days are evil. Do this. Beg God to help you not to think highly of yourself, but to think with sober judgment to see Him and to serve Him during this time. Listen, as we close, I I really think of this idea of the right direction and God's showing us what it looks like to follow him. And it's not easy to do this. I know some of you are struggling. It's not easy to do this. We're doing this together, though. And we're not relying on our own strength, but on God's strength to do this. And the Spirit of God is constantly leading us to the Word of God, to show us Jesus, the one who's done this for us and can help us through this. And we're going to end with a song, one of my favorite songs. In fact, it's called, I Will Follow. And it expresses this idea of thinking. And I sang this song at my nana's memorial service when she passed. And it reminds me so many times that life that we live in following Jesus, is, it's varied in what happens. And we don't get to choose what happens. We're not choosing this right now. God has brought this about to show us that we need to continually follow him in the good things and in the hardest part, the song says. He says, I believe everything that you say you are. And he says, and I believe and I will follow Jesus you because God doesn't change during this time his heart hasn't changed his desire is for us to trust him and to live in light of what he's done and what will come and so the last verse one of my favorite he says when I come to end this race I've run and I receive the prize that Christ has won he says I will be with you in paradise Church, remember, we're saved to relate to God, to be in relationship with Him. This is exactly the focus of our faith. The focus of our thoughts is that Jesus Christ one day will bring us to Himself, that the race that we're running right now will end. The prize that we're looking forward will be given, and we will be with Him forever in paradise, so we can believe everything that He says He is. And then we can believe, and we will follow Him Church, let's pray and ask God to help us think that way throughout this week and that we need him and he will help us and answer that prayer. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given us of your spirit, that you have given us the power to start this process of renewing our minds, Lord. And I pray that our minds would be renewed, to not think high of ourselves, but to think with sober judgment to see you And Lord, you have given us a measure of faith that even the smallest believer in our congregation, Lord, has giftings to be used for the benefit of other people and for your people. So Lord, help us to think about how can we use these things? How can we serve you? How can we not live for ourselves but for you? And Lord, understanding that we every single day need to commit our minds to follow you, our hearts to follow you, our love to follow you, to value you above anything else. Lord, do this, I pray, for the unity of your people, for your glory, because, Lord, one day we will see you. Jesus, we look forward to seeing you. We love you. Amen. When the
1: sea is calm, all is right. When I feel your favor flood my life, even in the good I'll follow you even in the good i'll follow you when the boat is tossed upon the waves when i wonder if you keep me safe even in the storms i'll follow you even in the storms i'll follow you I believe everything that you say you are I believe and I have seen Your unchanging heart In the good things In the hardest part I believe and I will follow you I believe and I will follow you When I see the wind when I feel I have like forced you, even in the ones I'll follow you, even in the ones I'll follow you, and I believe everything. I believe and I will follow you, I believe and I will follow you when I find myself so far from home, and you leave me somewhere I don't wanna go even in my death I'll follow you, even in my death. To win this race, i won. I receive the, the prize that Christ has won. I will be with you.
0: following jesus together that maybe this week you'll be hearing people saying things or maybe even thinking things that are not in the right direction listen would you commit to be mindful and to pray and even to speak to those people to maybe check in with people that you haven't talked to in a while or who you assume are doing fine and just let's see how one another is actually doing and to care even in a greater way for one another this week as we come back next week, we'll be talking about the reality of our membership together as one body. And again, this idea of we're doing this all together. We're a real church. We, we really have been saved. We've been called to be God's people, to evidence the transformation that God has brought about because of his spirit. And so that's what we need to be praying for this week. I invite you to pray again at the noon times to watch the devotionals, to stay connected in small groups. And listen, as things uh, become more clear, We do look forward to gathering one day. We really do. We miss you all. We love you. And as always, church, we say it, but we mean it. You are loved.